Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I am the founder and CEO of Mara Poling, and I'll be with you for the next 20 or 25 minutes as we have a chat about the due diligence question. Now, many of you may think of the term due diligence in a couple of different ways. So let's uh, start out by agreeing on what I mean when we say due diligence, uh, or at least sharing that thought. Due diligence occurs from the moment you start looking at an asset, uh, honestly, all the way through until you conclude the closing. Specifically, though, there's two timeframes that are thought of as due diligence. The uh, pre-offer or pre-contract due diligence and then the formal due diligence process. When you start looking at an asset uh, at Mara Poling, uh, Bill uh, Mara, who is, um, by the way, Bill is gonna be joining us in a couple of weeks uh, to actually dive into some of these acquisition uh, questions. Uh, but when Bill begins the acquisition process and identifies an asset that we may have some interest in, that starts the due diligence process. And we begin gathering data from a host of different sources, including the seller, that help us start to make our uh, modeling, uh, our underwriting. And through all of that, we ultimately get to a uh, decision as to whether or not we want to make an offer, execute a contract, and then begin the formal due diligence process. Uh, and then we get to formal due diligence, and I'm gonna talk about that in a little more detail because that's really the focus for today. Um, but the due diligence question, right? So we'll talk about due diligence in a minute and the, the pieces that go into it and what happens. The due diligence question, two interesting things about it. One, it's the question we're trying to answer throughout both of those portions of due diligence, the, the pre-contract as well as the formal due diligence process. And the answer we're looking for may surprise you. Um, so the question we're asking ourselves is, um, is there any reason at all to turn around and walk away from this deal? And the answer we are looking for, and, and I mean this sincerely, the answer we're looking for is yes. We are actively looking throughout both portions of this due diligence process, pre-contract as well as the formal process. We are actively looking for a reason to say no to this deal and to walk away. And that's different than we're looking for any reason that might make us want to walk away, or we're looking to validate the assumptions we've made. And the difference is this, and, and I think it's a fairly significant one. Were we looking at due diligence as a uh, confirmation process? We want to confirm the assumptions we've made in our underwrite so that we can be confident we've made a good decision. Well, if I've in my underwrite assumed that based on the data I had that um, that I could generate a $100 a month increase in rents by investing X amount of capital, then I'm predisposed to be looking for data that supports that and to potentially be overlooking data that doesn't support it or that contradicts it. And there's a difference between doesn't support and contradict. So 
by reframing the question as I'm looking for a reason to walk. I am keeping, I'm focused on data that will tell me this is the wrong deal for us. Doesn't mean it's a bad deal. It just isn't gonna fit the model we have. Our model's extremely conservative. Uh, we're focused on secure, stable investments. We wanna play on the conservative side of the fence, not 50-50, more on the 80-20 side, um, which does two things. It helps everybody sleep well at night, the swan investment philosophy. And uh, it gives you an opportunity to actually have better returns, even though as a conservative investment firm, our returns, uh, our target returns are not high, they're reasonable returns, mid-teens, high-teens kind of numbers. But if you're being conservative, uh, you're much more likely in that 80-20 scenario I just mentioned to put yourself in a position where you in fact uh, do overperform and you do have better uh, returns. That's, that's a common occurrence. So if you're playing conservative, you don't wanna be in a position where you accidentally, inadvertently, unknowingly end up with an asset that isn't exactly what you want it to be, that doesn't fit your model. Now. If we were doing a different model, right? If we were doing short-term, high-risk, high-reward, uh, swing-for-the-fences kinds of investments, we talked about those a couple of weeks back. If that's what we were looking for, then uh, we'd be maybe approaching this process a little bit differently. For us, the due diligence question we are looking to answer is, what's the reason I have found to be able to walk from this deal? I, I, I need that answer. So how do you get that? Well, as I said, there's a due diligence process that starts before you write a contract. And that's going to involve all the material that we look at that goes into our underwrite. So everything about the individual asset, the competitive environment, uh, our understanding of the current physical condition of the asset, which we determine through at least one, if not two, uh, visits to the asset. So before we write paper, we will go out and visit an asset and walk it. Uh, we'll bring some of our team with us, some of our property team. Uh, we won't necessarily bring everyone that we would bring during formal due diligence, but we would bring a group of folks with us uh, to assist in that regard. We do a fairly comprehensive uh, study of the competitive environment. Obviously, we will have looked at the market and the sub-market in a fair amount of detail. Uh, we don't need to wait to be under contract to do those things. So we'll be doing a lot of work before we put pen to paper. And the overwhelming majority of deals obviously never get to the point where we're putting pen to paper because we have found the answer to the question, why, why would this not be a good deal for us and why should we walk? And when we find that answer, then we just stop. There's, there's no reason to go forward. If, if we come uh, upon data that tells it that this asset is not a value-add asset, that there is not a legitimate value-add opportunity in the market uh, that is reasonable uh, and can be uh, and is visibly able to be achieved, meaning others in the market have already made these improvements, they're getting appropriate rents that support the uh, differential that we're looking at. If we've already determined that, then we're not gonna write an offer, right? We'll simply stop. Or we write an offer because everything worked, but it works up to our not to exceed price. And if the market for that asset is simply higher than that, well, then obviously it's, it's gonna stop at that point as well. So let's talk about the due diligence process though, once you get on the other side of the contract. 
And again, like all of our um, material that we go through on our uh, uh, multifamily real estate investing podcasts here, 90% of what we talk about, uh, and obviously we talk about the investments we make at Mara Polling, 90% of that is applicable to those of you that are uh, investing on your own in individual residential size multifamily assets. So if you have a, a duplex that you're thinking about purchasing, you can use this exact same methodology. There'll be a few elements, uh, as always, because of the scale that are going to be a little bit different. But um, for the most part, we're talking about a process that you can adopt completely. If you are someone who is looking to make investments in multifamily, uh, either with us or with a firm that looks like us, or maybe you've already done that. Uh, many of you are, are members of our uh, Mara Polling Total Return Fund. Uh, for those of you that are already members, this, this will help share a little bit more of the thought process we use in terms of acquiring uh, assets. And uh, get, reminds me, uh, great opportunity. Please go to the Learning Center at marapolling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. We've got lots of great material there uh, uh, at the Learning Center. Uh, recorded webinars. Uh, we have a live webinar series uh, that uh, we're actually just finishing. The last couple of sessions uh, are available right now. And then we'll be announcing a new webinar series uh, to finish out the uh, uh, the balance of 2019. It'll be starting the spring and run through uh, run through the fall. Uh, lots of good material there as well for you to uh, uh, to listen to and to watch. Uh, obviously, the podcast. Please subscribe if you're not already subscribed, and send us questions. Right? If you have any questions about what we're uh, chatting about, uh, shoot those questions uh, off to me, Pat at marapolling.com. So thank you for all that. Um, so formal due diligence, what's that, uh, what's that process look like? So there's three components to formal due diligence. They're, uh, they're not separate parts of the process. They're just, uh, if you will, there's three different ways to look at the due diligence process, three different, uh, masters, if you will, that are being served. And in all of them, again, we're keeping that same question in mind, which is, uh, where's my excuse to walk away from this from this deal? And so, in no particular order, because they're all three uh, valuable, let's let's start with um, the legal process. And when I say the legal process, what I mean is during the due diligence process. So this is we sign the contract and then we start due diligence. There are things we need to uh, do, things we need to acquire, data we need to have access to in order to facilitate the legal closing of the transaction, right? So the transfer of the ownership of the asset from the seller to Marapoli. And that involves all sorts of great stuff like um, uh, doing reviews of, of titles, uh, surveys to the properties. We're, we're purchasing larger assets, 100, 200, 300 unit multifamily properties. Uh, primarily in Texas, but this would be true anywhere in the in the country. Uh, sometimes it's one parcel, right? It, it, sometimes it's just all on one piece of land, which great. Uh, sometimes it's lots of parcels all bundled together. Uh, some of the parcels can be really large and some can be teeny tiny. Uh, doesn't matter. You, you've got to have surveys and ultimately title work done on 
uh, on each and every one of those. There's entity structures that need to be put together, legal entities. When we purchase assets, we use uh, limited liability companies for a variety of different reasons. Uh, uh, conforms to uh, expectations our, uh, our lending partners have, provides an appropriate level of uh, legal and risk management uh, support for us, uh, as well as uh, facilitates our ability as we move down the road through the completion of the first generation, facilitates the uh, transition to a second generation. Uh, and if those of you that are listening are saying, what's first generation, what's second generation? Um, again, we've got some great material. I think we've got a podcast on that um, that we did near the end of last year. And uh, and if not, we'll have one coming up because we, we have a second generation opportunity we're actually going to be talking about. Uh, first generation to second generation is when you sell an initial asset that's been acquired. Uh, and then via 1031, you roll into a replacement asset or a second generation asset. So part of what we're looking for is to gather all the data and documents that are needed in order to facilitate the closing process and all the legal work that goes with that. The next portion, right, the next frame of reference for due diligence is uh, for the lender. And we, we appreciate enormously our lending partners. We really do look at them that way. Uh, if, if over time, uh, you or others you know have fallen into the trap of um, adversarial relationships with the quote-unquote big bad lenders. Um, boy, whoever thinks that way is missing out on an opportunity because lenders are, they're, they, they, it's not that they can be your friend, they are your friend. They're your best friend. You're going to write the biggest check um, pardon me, you're going to write a big check to uh, to be a part of this deal uh, if you're buying a deal yourself or when Mara Poling does an investment, we write a pretty good size check on a $10 million uh, acquisition. We'd write a check somewhere in the neighborhood of $4 million. That's a lot of money. And that $4 million comes from all the nice folks, uh, again, like many of you that have invested in uh, one of our uh, products, uh, the little return fund currently being the one that's available. Um but obviously, four million is not ten million. So somebody else is writing a bigger check, and that's the lender. They're writing a check for the purchase, uh, and then we're writing our check to provide essentially the down payment and some closing costs and capital for improvements. But they're writing the bigger check, so we want to pay attention to what they're paying attention to. They may identify something uh, from a risk standpoint that they have an issue with, and if it's an issue for them, writing the biggest check then it should be an issue for us, even with our smaller check, still a substantial check, but with our smaller check. So every time we go through an acquisition, we are continually looking for items that the lender is focusing on. And if we identify the lender having come up with some additional issue, some additional item they wanna look at that maybe previous lenders haven't, then we add that to our standard bag of tricks. Because as we're going through due diligence, not only do we need to provide the lender with uh, items like an inspection of the property, uh, and it's a, a detailed, thorough inspection of the property, um, uh, copies of the, of the rent rolls, uh, the uh, due diligence on the underlying uh, lease agreements and a whole host of other items that the lender needs to see in order to confirm everything they have in their uh, underwrite and to meet their 
legal underwriting uh, standards. Uh, and if it's an agency debt uh, product, which uh, the overwhelming majority of what we work with uh, and have worked with uh, meets that criteria, then there's a very specific set of standards that they have to meet in terms of doing that. We not only want to help them do that, but it's a great opportunity for us to find issues, to find a reason to say no and walk away. Now, much of that is duplicative of what we've gone through prior to close, pardon me, prior to contract. And it's duplicative of the third item, which is we're also looking for validation uh, of all of the data we have, right? So any item that we've used to get under contract, we're now gonna look at with a higher degree of scrutiny. And again, we're looking at it with the mindset of uh, something's wrong here. There, there's a problem in here and we have to go find it. So for example, we'll have been given a rent roll for an asset. And this might be true, again, if you're looking at buying a duplex, your rent roll is pretty simple. Well, there's two tenants in here, here's how much they pay and so on. That might be told to you prior to you going under contract. Once you're under contract, okay, where are the leases for those? Where are the uh, current statement of accounts? Are those individuals uh, current on their leases? Uh, let me see the histories. Have they paid consistently on time? Has there been, uh, are they consistently late? Are there late notices? Are there, uh, are there legal issues, right? Has the, has the tenant brought suit against the, uh, um, uh, against the, the seller uh, or you know, other issues that might be outstanding like that? And obviously we're doing that on a large scale, 100 units, 200 units, 300 units. And so the way we'll do that is the day that we execute the contract, uh, we also have our property team staging uh, and within a day or two, uh, we go visit the site and do a very detailed physical inspection as well as do an individual lease review, uh, site by site, asset by asset, unit by unit, walking through and looking at every piece of paper that we can find about uh, each of those uh, leases, the leases themselves, applications, anything that may be available. And it's going to range in terms of what's available. And you learn things when you do that. And some of what you learn is going to be, obviously by definition, because you're learning it, it's news to you, but it's gonna be news to you that's in the same vein as what you already knew. Um, so for example, uh, you're going to uh, go through and be able to identify uh, which leases are expiring on what uh, months and how that lines up with the rent roll. Uh, generally, if some of those are a little different than what was in the rent roll, that's normally not an excuse to walk away from a deal. Now, if you go through and what you determine is instead of there being four vacant units, there's actually 14 vacant units. Well, then that could very well be a material issue that could cause you to say, wait a minute, this property isn't performing. And that was one of our criteria. That's our excuse to leave and we're going to walk. So, uh, so you're looking to do that on all of those items. Due diligence, once it's complete, should have provided the lender with the material they need to complete their process. It should have provided the legal team with the materials they need in order to uh, facilitate the closing of the transaction. And uh, we should have been able to uh, fully gather all of the data that we may have needed uh, to have gone through and looked at everything we made assumptions about. And when we get to that point, and this is a process Bill and I do on every acquisition, 
uh, we will get to a point where we will sit down in a room, we'll go through everything that we have found, we'll, we'll take turns challenging the data and challenging the acquisition and arguing and lobbying for why we should walk. And at the end of that process, if we've not come up with a reason to walk from the deal, now we've gotten to yes. And that's a different process than uh, I like the deal, we signed a contract, we're going to go out and perform due diligence, and, we're, and we want to buy this deal. So we're looking subconsciously, most likely, we're looking for reasons to say yes. And uh, that's a way to get yourself into trouble. Um, and there's a lot of decisions we all make in our personal lives that this thought process might be valuable on. Um, uh, one that comes to mind, uh, and it's it's a way this industry is operated, is um, when you go to buy a car, right? Car dealers love getting you excited about a car, right? Come on in, look how pretty it is, go take a test drive. Oh, I love it, I could see myself driving this car. Well, now every bit of questioning and investigation you do is potentially being done from that mindset of, I like this car, I wanna buy this car. So you're looking for reasons to buy the car, as opposed to, just imagine if when you went to buy a car, every car you looked at, you said, yeah, I don't like that car and here's why. And, and it was the job of the salesperson to knock every one of those down and give you hard data that would show that, no, no, this is a safe car or this is an economical car or, uh, you know, whatever it might happen to be. It, it, it is reliable, right? Or whatever those elements might be. And only after you got all the way through it, you say, okay, I'll buy that car because, uh, I've not been able to find a reason not to buy it. Um, typically, that's not the way as consumers that society works. I certainly haven't worked that way. Uh, I've bought lots of cars that were just, hey, that's a fun car. I want to have that car. Um, you know, buying a car is one thing, right? You're putting 20 or 30 grand at risk. When you're buying uh, a property like uh, we look at, you're talking about 10, 15, 20 million dollars. You obviously have a, a different level of scrutiny. So, the due diligence question is, uh, what's my excuse for walking away from this property? And I, and I want to find that excuse. And only when I can't find an excuse is it then acceptable to say, all right, this property has met all of our criteria. Uh, the lender has now bought off. The legal team's ready to go. Only then are we ready to sign and close. Now, I'm going to leave you with one thought, and that might be, you may be wondering, well, what, what happens if you do find a reason to walk? What happens if you do learn, for example, that, oh, there was a fire, and 20% uh, of the units were either damaged or destroyed, and they have been rebuilt. Uh, and they've been rebuilt differently than the base units, right? They were rebuilt in the last few years, and the base units are all 30 years old. Well, obviously, you can't rebuild a 30-year-old unit. You're going to build it as a new unit. Um, so does that present any challenges? It might present some opportunities, but again, we don't want to get focused on the opportunity side and get distracted by that. We're looking at it from the standpoint of, okay, is that a reason for me to walk? Uh, is that going to affect my insurance rates as I go forward? Is that uh, is there something about the manner in which that work was done that is going to cause um, problems? Uh, how do I know that the work was done uh, correctly? 
what kind of inspections, uh, special inspections have we done in and around those, those uh, units and potentially other units that may have been impacted by that fire or flood or whatever it might have happened to have been. Uh, again, you might learn something like that. And if you do, let's, let's go to that point where you, you learn something and it, it does reach that threshold. Okay, that's your excuse. That's the excuse to walk. We have to have the discipline to walk, which means we have spent money getting under contract, right? That, that pre-contract due diligence I talked about, the visits to the site, just the time and energy we've put into it. Uh, once we have it under contract and we begin to move to uh, the formal due diligence process, well, as I said, we're going to bring a team out and we're going to walk all these units and we're going to do these lease reviews. And all of that takes resource, which means money, right? There's people involved. Uh, we've the lenders doing their work. So we've spent money on a loan application and put other fees at risks. We've paid for uh, title and surveys and all sorts of other items the meter's spinning pretty quick. So we went from not having spent other than just our own time to 5,000, 10,000, 30,000, 50,000. Uh, there may be earnest money that we've put down. And unless the reason we find for walking meets any criteria that's in the contract, it's completely possible that we may be out some or all of that earnest money. That's okay. You've got to be willing to walk away from $100,000 so that you don't make a $4 million mistake. Uh, you can make $100,000 back by making good decisions on other assets and by learning from this so that you can hopefully identify those issues earlier in the process so that you aren't putting $100,000 at risk. You're only putting $10,000 at risk or something like that. But you have to have that discipline to walk away. Otherwise, the due diligence question becomes just an exercise. Uh, if the answer that you identify is that you have identified a reason to walk away and this deal now no longer meets your criteria, then you've got to turn around and walk away. And in doing so, sleep well at night knowing that you made the right decision. So I hope this has been valuable for you. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about uh, how we do what we're doing uh, at Mara Polling, we, uh, we do have an acquisition that we're working on right now, and uh, we made an offer a couple of weeks ago. If you'd like to follow us along, just shoot me an email, uh, pat at Mara Polling, and I'll add you to my email distribution list, and we'll give you little updates about how we're working through that process. If you're interested in becoming a part of Mara Polling and uh, joining the multifamily investment world, again, please shoot me an email. I'll be happy to have a conversation with you and uh, and we can get you some materials to look at. Um, obviously, all these sessions we do online are uh, great and educational, and I hope you find a lot of value in them. Uh, none of these are offers uh, or solicitations for investments. Uh, all that's done through some wonderful legal paperwork that we'd be happy to get you if you have interest in learning more about taking your first steps into multifamily. Uh, please subscribe. Over the next few weeks, we've got some really fun sessions coming up. I, as I mentioned, Bill Mara, is going to be joining us. Uh, Bill's going to begin a series with us that will take place over the next few months where he's going to walk us through the specifics of the acquisition process and what he and the acquisition team uh, do. So uh, I think that's going to be a really exciting one. We're also going to be launching a series on a, a team of advisors. We're, we're big advocates, myself in particular, of everyone having a team of advisors 
to help them with their financial decision-making, their financial life. Uh, and this would include having a, a tax advisor. It would include having a, uh, a legal team to go to, in particular, uh, a, a team uh, that is able to help you with issues around uh, estate planning and risk management. A uh, question that comes up on a regular basis when we work with investors is how they'd like to hold title to their investment. Uh, that's a decision that we strongly encourage folks to have some advice uh, on as opposed to just making that decision them, themselves. Um, there are obviously risk management elements that everybody has in their lives uh, and having a good risk management team, i.e. an insurance team, uh, is another uh, component of that. And so we're going to be having a, uh, there's a series we'll be starting soon. Uh, we actually have our uh, first one coming up uh, uh, fairly soon in which uh, one of our uh, uh, teams uh, is going to get together with a, um, uh, a tax uh, advisor uh, consultant and uh, be sharing some information about uh, what they do with their clients. And uh, hopefully what you all may gather from that is uh, some insight that would help you in terms of fleshing out your team. And again, that goes for somebody that might be listening who has a eight-figure uh, net worth, and it go equally goes for one of you that's uh, just starting out and is looking to buy your first single-family rental or duplex. Uh, whatever end of the spectrum you are on, we certainly encourage you to have the right kind of professional support. So if you have any questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And I look forward to seeing you next time on Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling.